0: Welcome to season three of This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley, a podcast about the Bay Area, technology, and culture. I'm your host, Sunil Rajaraman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Yasha Kekis-Wolf. Hey, uh, everyone. Welcome to this uh, week's special edition of... Well, I guess we haven't recorded in a while, have we, Yasha?
1: What are What are we doing here?
0: Yeah, so it's it's been a while. Let's just say we've been very, very busy, but... Uh, we are doing a decade in review, uh, and it's been a pretty eventful decade. We have two special guests with us today: uh, the the very famous out of her basement Molly Wood. Hello. And the uh, the very <laughs> prolific Antonio Garcia Martinez. Prolific in what way? I mean, how should we how should we describe you?
2: In, in every way, uh, lots of tweets and lots of kids, I guess. Yeah.
0: Could we convince you to, to talk into the mic? I'll move.
2: Oh, sorry. Yes, that, that, that just requires getting a lot closer to Sunil than I'm usually accustomed to. Frankly. What do you mean prolific? And I'm practically sitting on his lap, by the way.
3: I know. Tell us about the kid thing. How yeah. many are we talking?
2: I, <laughs> well, three so far.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say like
2: baker's dozen. <laughs> That's prolific. No, I, I'm no, I'm not that. Yeah, I'm not that irresponsible.
0: All right. All right. On, on to business. And uh, we're, it is going to be very comfortable. And I'm already sweating, uh, but we have a whole decade to get through. Let's start, let's start early in the decade. And, you know, we're a culture podcast. We're not a news podcast. And one thing that both Yasha and I missed in the decade was dating. And Tinder started in, in the early 2010s, along with a host of other sites that were similar. AGM, Molly, thoughts? Mm.
3: Yeah, in fact, I rem- I wrote about this in 2013, I think, and said, oh, dating is going mobile. And it was like this big shift, and it was really a palpable difference in the way that online dating worked because it had gotten completely mainstream. Like, my mom met her husband online dating. That's what everyone was doing. And so it was almost like online dating was for your mom, and then dating went mobile, and then it was just, Then it was all of the expected sort of hand wringing about hookup culture. And then here we are all these years later wondering, like, did Tinder, did swiping ruin dating? Because we actually experienced not just the rise of Tinder culture, but sort of like the backlash and the better, you know, more woman friendly version in Bumble and the lawsuit. And it was a really, it's been a really interesting uh, decade in dating, actually.
1: Is it better now? I mean, as somebody who's not dated over the course of this decade, like, is it better now? Are we better off? We can't just say we're different, like is it better? I think you need to get divorced and start
2: checking it out because uh, my divorced friends have started doing the online dating thing. I think they married before the swiping thing, maybe right at the beginning of the online dating thing. And to them, it's it's very unusual uh, how it kind of works. I mean, my comment is that it's so strange as someone who works in the ad tech and marketing world, that like in the like in the final innings of capitalism it turns everything into a marketing problem and the fact that we've turned courtship and mating into effectively like a display advertising problem of like optimize your creative get the highest engagement rate you know maximize your funnel like the fact that we've turned into that I mean obviously I'm saying it tug in cheek it's kind of sad but uh uh, yeah to me I'm just astonished by it at this point I refuse to engage in it to be honest
0: not to not to get all deep but what is what is the way that you know dating how, how how we handle it these days what does it say about us you know in the 2010s what is it going to ch- what's what if anything is going to change about it in the next decade
3: I mean I would I would say that it is sort of a late stage capitalism play and it's ironically also a bit of a monopoly like match group now right. owns all of those <laughs> sites right. and so they have cornered the market much like you know eyewear and whatever um, I do think that there is, I mean, I will say as a divorced person who recently met someone in an app, like, oh, yeah. it works sort of <laughs> is horrible, I guess. Um, but I sort of think that dating always was horrible. So it's just like a different kind of horrible. What's been interesting to me is to watch these apps evolve away from just pure like, oh, we'll help you hook up with someone too. Oh, we'll help you meet people for networking, like for work, which makes me think, oh, love is not monetizable in the long run, maybe, and that that we are making the turn towards sort of like, we'd like to have more control, and we might like to have more connection. But I mean, people are always going to want to like get it on.
0: Are the 2010s the decade that killed love?
3: Provocative.
2: Um,
0: yeah, wow, I don't know what to say about that. Um, the
3: decade of the dick pic, that's for sure. <laughs> Sorry, did I get us the e? No,
2: no, you're, I've never you're, you're good. The dick pic, but okay.
1: yeah, that's not. You, that, that doesn't even get you. An
3: e. okay, you have to good. say like, shit in. or fuck or something like that.
1: <laughs> and then you get the e. But it, like in all sincerity, is are we better off at the end of this decade from people who have experienced dating than when we started at the beginning of the decade? I think it's maturing.
2: One comment I was going to make it was interesting that I, I was going to ask maybe what, what app you were on. So I it was a bit of a lie when I said I refused to date at this point. I did briefly check into the current state of dating apps, uh, specifically one genre of apps, and it was interesting to me how what you know the, the Tinder format, which seems very hookupy and kind of very superficial and like really not my cup of tea. Um, a lot of the profiles were like, no, no, I'm like looking for a serious relationship, but we're somehow we're constrained by this bizarre format because people don't read anymore. And I guess it's just like the table stakes that you're supposed to swipe on a dating app, even though I think the format is terrible. I, I, I did tweet that I think what I would actually want, you know what I want? I want book date where there's no photos. It's like literally a photo of your bookshelf. And like the similarity metric is like, is like literally what books you have in common. And then, you know, it would obviously be a little bit eggheady and obviously the, the adoption would be all of 200 people. but. That's what I
1: want. Uh, I mean, this sounds like a horrible idea.
2: Really idealistic. We're (laughs) over
3: here like, no, you don't, though. You don't totally want that. Well, maybe one profile photo. (laughs) (laughs) Uh uh I mean, we embraced convenience in all things, including dating. And I think, like, writ large, we're now discovering that maybe convenience is not as convenient as we thought. Like, it turns out it's lovely for me to have my groceries delivered all the time, but they kind of always mess it up. And so if I do it myself, it's a little bit better. And if I swipe and swipe and swipe... And it just be, it makes the numbers game that much more real. It's very frustrating. Ironically, I ended up meeting somebody who lives like in my neighborhood and whose kids go to the same school my son went to. You know, so it's I think there's a little bit of there's always serendipity. And I wouldn't say that we're worse off with love. I just think that maybe the transaction cost got higher and a little uglier. So what does it say about our
2: society, though, that it, it took a dating app? and the entire internet for you to meet somebody down the street right it's th- f- with whom you had connections yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah totally yeah
0: you know and i started with with dating but uh i'm going to make a very hyperbolic statement but it is it are the 2010s the decade that really you know human intimacy in every aspect right we think about our daily lives uh you know there's all the talk about social media that I see AGM get into fights on Twitter all the time with okay. people who he doesn't know, and the on-demand economy, and you know where are we headed with just human connection in general? I feel like I feel like the 2010s we took a step back.
1: Hmm. Maybe it isn't a step back so much as that we are at the end of this decade now, starting to understand the cost of convenience. And I think Molly's right. Like we we appreciate convenience, but we really didn't understand what it costs to us, and now we kind of do a little bit. Some people do.
2: Yeah, the social media thing, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree that, it, I, I think Americans are becoming increasingly lonely and everyone's going kind of crazy online. One, one experience I had this decade that I never had in my entire life, I wrote about it for Wired, um, was I ne- I, I've never been raised in a small community. Maybe, maybe you have or your listeners have, but I've never lived in a place where everybody kind of knows each other. And so after I wrote Chaos Monkeys, I moved to this little island in the northwest called Orcas Island, uh, about 2,000 people in the winter. So it's not tiny, but it's not particularly large. Um, and it's you know there's no need for social media. You go into one of two bars, and that's your check-in. Everyone who's out is there, right? Every time you meet somebody, you have a basically an impromptu newsfeed update on everyone that you have in common, right? There's no privacy, by the way. Everyone knows everybody's business, right? Like, who's the who's the the fuck up? Who's the drug dealer? Who's cheating on his? wife or husband or whatever, everyone knows everything. There's no privacy. There's no privacy control. There's no opting out, right? So just, and I just, I didn't use Facebook very often. Although Facebook was used as sort of a bulletin board as like a gossip thing, but everything else like feed and liking and fighting, that didn't really happen much, at least among the island community. So anyhow, I came to the conclusion that basically social media is to real community as porn is to real sex, right? It's like this fake digital version that if you overindulge, completely fries your brain and makes you incapable of actually engaging in the real version of it.
0: Yasha, Molly, thoughts? (laughs)
3: Yeah, I, I think that actually is a pretty apt metaphor because I think we thought we were connecting right. early on. I mean, we really did think that. And then it just became like so many things about this decade, a matter of scale. Like once we got to a certain scale, once we scaled, everything fell apart, right? We could no longer maintain the intimacy. We realized that there is, in fact, a scientific number beyond which you can't maintain enough any more connections, right? It's like 142. And after that, you can't actually maintain you a You got that connection. from Sapiens. Did I? Well, or maybe dun- Sapiens well, got it from the article. Because yeah, right? yeah. I haven't read it's Sapiens. Dunbar's
2: number if you want a Wikipedia or something. Yeah, that's the name Oh, of it,
3: yeah. look at this. Yeah,
0: yeah, look yeah. at that. Yeah, yeah. Book
3: profile. Check
0: okay. out Antonio with the big brain. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Anthro major as an undergrad. And so maybe <laughs> maybe it's a good thing that the pendulum is swinging back. Because if you right. look at like tech trends of 2010, it was like, Facebook is bigger than it's ever been. And it's just like, we're all so connected. And this is really happening in Arab Spring and blah, blah, blah. And then it's sort of like, oh, wait. Maybe there's a downside here. Maybe as this gets too big to maintain, it tar- it starts to turn a little ugly.
1: How many how many people do you think understand that idea? Is it is it uh, unique to is it unique to us in the Bay Area? Is it unique to the work that you do? Like, do we think that that's a like a commonly held understanding, or would most people understand that metaphor? Which one? If we, if we think about the kind of scale of social networks in particular and the loneliness that comes from them, or at least the kind of false appreciation of the connections that happen there, um, is that something that we're able to talk about here because of where we live? Is it unique to the Bay Area? Or is that something that you think more people outside of the Bay Area are starting to grasp?
3: You look like you have a thought. Uh,
0: I'm just thinking that Yasha needs to go a little bit closer to the microphone because <laughs> we're getting good reads here because we're really loud. That's a good idea. And I'll do that. And so Neil and
2: I
1: are practically making out of this mic. So that, that helps too. Yeah. But well, it's nice. But I mean, <laughs> but, but seriously, yeah. the the Bay Area is a, a weird place. And sometimes I think we we have these conversations where it feels right, but is it just because we're talking to the four people that sit in this room who happen to all work in an industry where we've got maybe a different view in, into what's going on?
3: So maybe. But I do think that some of this is borne out by business trends. For example, there is data that shows that daily usage on Facebook has declined. So that, you know, if content is king, people have increasingly found the content on Facebook to be boring, divisive, you know, it gets tired after a while. And so they migrated to Instagram because that was more interesting. Now they're migrating to Instagram stories because that is both interesting and ephemeral. Now Facebook wants to pivot to messaging because it turned out that all we wanted to do this whole time is just text our friends on some level and maybe send them cute pictures and videos. And so I think like I think the development of the tech and the and the business imperatives at a company like Facebook might support our premise a little.
0: So Facebook and interesting so Facebook and Twitter were the previous decade, but let's let's and, and you make a very interesting point, which is start of the decade, Instagram launches in 2010. Snap launches in 2011. In your opinion, uh, uh, open open question for all of you: Which of these companies—Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snap, or list other company—have had more the most impact on society, the most dramatic impact?
2: Uh, you left out WhatsApp, which I found to be kind of a glaring omission. And Google. Uh, uh, well, and Google. Yeah, I think uh, many Americans don't use WhatsApp, and I think they don't understand that outside the U.S., WhatsApp is what it's about. And this pivot to messaging. Part of it, I think, is cynical because it's obviously a smart privacy move. It's part of the reason why Zuck wants to keep it encrypted because basically he's not responsible for policing the content. But secondly, I have on good authority that much of Facebook's growth is actually in WhatsApp overseas. Um, and uh, like and I, I,
0: I should have, I, you know, I have an India WhatsApp group with all of my relatives exactly. there. The way they use WhatsApp is very it's different. It's
2: totally different than what you imagine, yeah. my WhatsApp groups is probably my, my most active social media use right now, other than Twitter, I guess. Yeah, I'm on several WhatsApp groups now.
3: I did just see a chart that said that in the 2010s, Facebook, Facebook Messenger, Instagram, and WhatsApp were the top four most downloaded apps. All of them are owned by Facebook. So I guess by that measure, you have to give it to Facebook writ large, like the all caps one, the rebranded one. Facebook!
1: So if if you could uh, take away that fact that Facebook owns all of the most popular apps and probably had the most. The most impact because of it. If you could choose which of the, the businesses or apps that were created in the last decade could have been the most impactful, which one would you have hoped could have been most impactful? Would it be Twitter? Would it be?
3: Hmm. Hmm. Like this is a wish. This is, a fun this is my this is my game. wish.
1: What actually would you have wished would have been most popular, most
0: impactful? I'm surprised Foursquare wasn't more impactful. Yeah, um, I was hopeful that, you know, I think there was an. Uh, AGM I know is a social media connoisseur, but there was the there was the whole Foursquare uh, Gowalla, and then there was another yeah. one called Highlight. Um, uh, Highlight was like the oh, I'm there. pointing up to a, a, a little canvas that's printed out that is uh, Foursquare
1: check-ins, and and this particular Foursquare check-in, there's one person, a driver of the Golden Gate Bridge every day for my commute, and I when Foursquare was the thing let's just pretend that um, I was totally a passenger every single time I was going to the Golden Gate Bridge, I would check in. And there was this one other person where we would constantly battle back and forth for <laughs> who was the, the crown, the, the kind of- You're risking your person. life to check in and win the mayoral race, the, Yeah, so. the mayoral thing. I always forgot what it was that we had. But yeah, Foursquare was interesting. I thought location-based stuff would
0: really take off. And I was actually hopeful for it because, um, you know, Yelp has kind of thrived this entire decade. And is still the go-to for reviews. I don't trust, you know, any any other review place for restaurants as much. Open Table is is goosed. I think Tripadvisor. Uh, I trust Tripadvisor less than I trust Yelp uh, personally. But I was hoping something location-based would take off in a bigger way.
3: I was reading about location stuff on the way over because in 2010 that was really, and in 2011 that was like it, right? That was all the yeah. South by Southwest stuff, and everybody was like Philo, when there were all these different. Location based apps that were like going to be the thing, including Foursquare. And I was wondering, like, what? Because location, I think it actually just got absorbed by every single service. Because, yeah, they all realize like location is paramount, but at some point people are going to get creeped out by it. So maybe we just need to abstract that out, make it a little more invisible so that we can keep using it constantly without people being like, hmm, hold on, murder. Yeah, it became part of a bigger thing, right? Facebook bought Gowalla,
2: which became Facebook Places, effectively. And then Foursquare is used mostly by Twitter now, which is what you use when you check in. So one tent, you mentioned tech trends that didn't quite take off, that you didn't wish had. So one thing I miss, I know it sounds like ancient history at this point. Remember Secret? the anonymous social network? I yeah. do. I was so addicted to secret, you have no idea. Like I used it more than, than Twitter and Facebook at the time. I had high hopes for anonymous social networking. I get outed all the time because I guess my tone, for whatever reason, like literally the first comment would always be AGM. It was horrible. Like it would literally risk, rip the mask off from the masked you know, ball. But I thought it was kind of interesting. And it's, it's surprising to me that it hasn't really taken off, other than in the form of pseudonymous or anonymous accounts on Twitter, which.
1: What then, do you think about blind? Like does that not satiate?
3: The isn't it?
2: I haven't used it? Isn't it kind of mostly corporate focused, isn't it like internal corporate stuff? So yeah, yeah, um you know, I guess now that I actually have a job, I can go on to blind and see what it says about my employer. but I, I doubt it's very interesting.
3: In the case there's of my one partner. I haven't seen it, but there's one called Tell that my son okay. keeps requesting to download, and I keep saying no, because then it's people like post these little anonymous post-its about each other. and I'm like, oh, in middle school, great idea. <laughs> no, never. I miss um Gawker and Google Reader. I wish that, like, I actually wish that news aggregation had not been absorbed by, just even though Google Reader was a Google product, that seems to be another one where they clearly were like, hmm, we should just make this part of the the core product in some way. And so I feel like news aggregation might have been less destructive if it had remained kind of a collection of sites in a more visible way. I don't know. That's probably true. Yeah. Well,
0: we are definitely going to cover news. That's a big, a big theme of the decade and the the death of you know of media or you know the decline of media. We'll call it. AGM will have some opinions on this. Sure we'll we'll get to it. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about Netflix for a second because not not a social media company, but uh, uh, Netflix original series get introduced this decade, starting with. You know, House of Cards or Lillahammer is the, is the first one, uh, the Steven Van Zandt one. Do you think Netflix has had more of a dramatic impact on our society in the 2010s than any of these companies?
2: Possibly. The whole Netflix and chill thing and binging on TV and the way it gets produced.
3: Well, and also yeah. the the actual final disruption of TV that we, you know, we talked about for so long, like what they can't, this is not sustainable, the bundles and the consumer unfriendliness and the way that people watch TV and don't want to watch TV and the act of kind of unbundling it in that way and releasing television into the wild and showing that it could be viable. Yeah, yeah, is, that's pretty disruptive. And the I, iPad happened to come out at the same time, so everybody right. was like, Boy, we can't—we cannot figure out what to use this device for until they finally figured out it was a baby TV.
2: Can I make an outrageous statement? The sort of thing that make I, an outrageous I, statement. I, I used to be—I used to tweet when I had ten hours a day spent on Twitter. Now I don't because I just can't deal. So, um, it, without question, Netflix made TV. Whatever the hell that means, right? better right but it, so you know obviously tv if you go back and watch like an 80s tv show it's like the most moronic thing you've ever seen in your entire life right it's like how did humans sit here and like at 9 you know pm and sit in front of this tube and watch this ridiculous nonsense so tv tv is better I would claim, however, that film is probably not as good as it used to be, right? We don't have Godfathers. We don't have Deer Hunters anymore. I don't know that – in, in, so I'm not sure. I wouldn't say I would blame it on Netflix necessarily, so TV's obviously better. But somehow, you know, some of these great Netflix series, and this one's going to get me to trouble. Like, I, I don't watch a lot of things, but I'll always watch a couple of shows just to get a feel for it. And I find that often I, I'm not usually blown away, and I rarely get sucked into a show.
0: Yeah, you're you're definitely in the minority there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, this has definitely been the golden age of TV I'm obsessed with no 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 uh, I, I get
2: it but why? but are, are you claiming that the TV now is as good as say the classic film from the 50s 60s and 70s I'm saying That's it's the better yeah. you're
0: saying it's better mm-hmm.
2: what would you claim is higher than The Godfather for example
0: uh, oh gosh I mean I, I don't even know where to Casablanca begin Casablanca
2: or any of the classic films whatever you consider your high point in cinematic art what now
0: is better than that Well, okay, it depends on how you're how you're measuring it, right? Like, so I I I look at overall. I think
3: the words you're looking for are the wire.
0: Well, the wire, the mm-hmm. wire, uh, you know, from uh, so hundred percent the wire, uh, my number one TV, favorite TV show of all time, but was you know the decade previous. It really was. I yeah. was trying to
3: remember. Oh, you're right, because it so, was like the uh, the rise of smartphones and yeah. Yeah. So okay, HBO fair. really, really started
0: fair. this, but Netflix built the built the tech that sort of you know brought it to everybody's house and really escalated the streaming wars. But yeah, the wire, the wire's last season was I think in two thousand six.
1: Yeah. Wow. I I get the, wow. like the controversy of saying there's nothing as good as Casablanca. There's nothing as good as like pick whatever, but there's a preciousness in that, right? Like there 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 are great archetypal examples of film noir that maybe they don't get any better than. But where we are now is that more and more movies and television shows are being created that more people get access to that are really high quality. They may not be the archetypes that set whatever that genre is, but they're damn good. And there's a lot more of them. I kind of think about, I think Netflix has been interesting over the course of the decade, but I don't think we really saw the split into TV kind of becoming what it is now until we saw some of the other big fan companies start to get involved as well. I mean, Netflix by itself didn't do it. It was when others were like, oh yeah, we should do that also. And now we as consumers have in theory options, although it's kind of a pain in the ass to get 18 different apps to watch whatever you want to watch. But it was really that kind of weird dynamic of the big monopolistic organization saying, oh yeah, we're gonna do that also. That's really driven a lot of consumer benefit or convenience, but there I, th- I think I have a problem also saying that because I don't necessarily feel good about it.
3: Well, and I would argue it wasn't even the fang companies getting into streaming. It was when it was when the disruption of Netflix pushed TV into streaming formats. Because like I was in, I was at CNET and CBS the better part of the the decade before, right, the decade prior, and that was a time of like we are not trading digital uh, cable dollars for digital pennies that's never going to happen and you saw this incredible resistance to digital distribution from traditional tv makers and then i think you finally you finally saw i mean cbs obviously still kind of a laggard but they're trying to go it their own with their own way with the all access but you did see all these traditional companies that say all right well, we'll be on hulu it's almost like the launch of hulu was the direct, was actually the disruption that Netflix started. And then you saw it was like once HBO got unbundled. That's when it. So I think Netflix is probably the germ. But ironically, it wasn't until the traditional TV makers got on board that you were like, oh, now I can get TV. And honestly, like, I mean, I'm weirdly, I'm kind of with you. I think that like they're throwing a lot of money at original content, but it's a lot more misses than hits. Right.
0: Oh, 100% that there there is a lot more trash content out there. Um, But I think what they've done is really elevate, uh, you know, and escalate the game. And I I, say I I just don't share the same view. I mean, you know, something like three, four hundred feature length films get produced per year and get distributed. It's a really small number and most of them suck. And uh well, yeah. now
2: again, nowadays, because because Hollywood dropped the ball and just blew up. I mean, part of this rise of Netflix is that Hollywood kind of sucks in terms of generating content. I mean, th-
3: I wonder th- which, I wonder what was the chicken, what was the egg there too. Actually, I wonder if I mean, we stopped going to the movies, and was that like right. attention span, or was it sheer availability of content? Because now, talk about scale, scale is my word for the de- for the decade, by the way. <laughs> like now, when whereas before we had a couple new original shows to watch, and that was great. Now we're like completely buried. Under the avalanche of TV trying to keep up with streaming services, and streaming services trying to build enough of a an, a an enticement for us to keep paying every month for all six of them, and it's a little it's exhausting. But I wouldn't say the quality is necessarily better across the board.
1: Well, fortunately, we're all uh, kind of, deem or like brain dead zombies that are unhappy and lonely because of all the social networks, and so we can kind of consume all that. I would say content. there's a social
2: aspect to it as well. Like going to the
1: movies used to be a thing. Like, I just
2: moved to a new apartment. There's actually a pretty good indie film house down the road. They had four films I wanted to see. I could not get my ass off the chair to go see any four of them. Instead, I just, like... I, I subscribe to Disney Plus and watch the Mandalorian instead. There you go. Yeah. There
1: you go. <laughs> I just realized why I'm like hesitating at coming close to the mic and getting too close to you, Molly, because I had shawarma for lunch today, and subconsciously I'm trying to protect <laughs> you from. I just had yeah. milk,
3: so basically my breast milk. Okay, fire. good, oh, good. That's what it was. So we're going to
0: stay on this thread of content, and we're just going to make sure that these two get closer to the mic. It looks like AGM and I are, are trending louder. So for our for our listeners, um, if we're we're I mean we're just two loud guys. Um, Quality content. Let's. We can't talk about the 2010s without talking about YouTube. So here are a few videos that you might remember: Gangnam Style, mm-hmm. Rebecca Black's fr- uh, Friday. What does the fox say? Coney 2012. Anyone remember that 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 thing? So, what are your thoughts on uh, on YouTube's effect on the decade?
3: See, I was trying to remember when YouTube launched because I didn't want to make that mistake again about the the wire, but. I would almost argue that YouTube was a bigger overall influence than Netflix as um, the thing that all the kids migrated to as the origin of memes that in this decade got commercialized in a way that they never have been before. So like influencer culture, Instagram and YouTube, I think have to share credit for that. And that is a huge deal.
0: Bieber was YouTube, I believe, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah. I don't, is are
1: you framing it like uh, YouTube has been a positive influence over the last decade?
3: Oh god, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, Why look, not? there are so many things that have been a positive and a negative, right? And this I, I think it's like we're at the point in the decade where it's hard for us to remember that there were positives. Um, what what we thought about YouTube in 2010 to maybe 2015 was like it democratizes media. It makes it possible for the Friday girl for Bieber for, you know, various breakouts to become stars. It makes it it makes it easy for anybody to get their message out. And then, oh, my God, you can make a living on your art. That's incredible. And that was real. And on some level, that still is real. It's just that it's wrapped in a shell of Logan and Jake Paul and radicalization, which is a super bad shell. And the fact that you have to, like, go through that shell to get to the happy center of democracy, you know, democratization and commercializing your art is probably an unacceptable trade-off now.
2: So my YouTube use case is a little bit different. All I do, I, uh, guilty pleasure of mine, late at night, I just watch Russian dash cam videos. That's like my only like. Those are amazing. Okay. Those are incredible. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah. You got to. What is this? what oh my god yes yes so in in russia as i understand it and i'm obviously not an expert i could be totally wrong but as i understand it there's it's there's a massive trade in like insurance scams where people try to get hit or scam or like intentionally get rear-ended or whatever and defensively against that most everybody seems to have a dash cam in russia and given the nature of traffic and everything else going on in russia now things are captured that you just wouldn't imagine like imagine you know every, yeah so that, that, crazy stuff that, like
3: buses starting on fire and bears right. and like or like I mean, when crazy. a big meteorite
2: comes or a fight or god knows what. What I mean. have the two of you do? This? No,
1: like what do the two of you do to know that that's a thing?
3: I mean I got it it's, from my
1: kid. It's
2: two yeah. thirty. You just got back from going out. You're kind of tipsy. You're too tired to go to bed. What are you gonna watch? Russian dash cam videos, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's You just amazing. want the chaos. Don't you
3: know about look at this Russian on Instagram? No, think no. It, I think no. it might be look at this fucking Russian, and it's literally just an Instagram feed of like. C- crazy <laughs> Russian stuff
2: so I was gonna say that's <laughs> sorry that's that's my one weird use case one thing nobody mentions because we're also into the media thing YouTube has completely changed instruction and education and man- yes. manual trades it for weird reasons the past three years I've been like homesteading this kind of like prepper off-grid compound thing in this island that I mentioned and so like how do you slab a table how do you build a cabin how do you you know, how do you clean a composting toilet? Like all these things, these how-to things, you can just go and see like a world expert. Just go and do this thing. Or how do you change the motor on your bloody blah? When you're kind of trying to be self-reliant and do things that you don't really wouldn't do, it's just such a treasure trove. Of it. Like how would you do it otherwise? Or right? even
3: things like Khan Academy. <coughs> like right, Khan, I, um. I mean, I I cannot help my child with his homework. Yeah, right. Like, the new math is super Academy. hard. It's really hard, yeah. but uh, but it's all but it's all there. So like. I think if this decade is a little bit, you take the good with the bad. And yep. it's scale. It's a scale thing yeah. and incentives.
0: So eventually we are going to take this to a very Silicon Valley specific place to our listeners who, who care, who care about this stuff. But let's, let's keep going down this, this media thread for a little bit. Uh, Vine, Vine, Rose and Fell. Uh, that would, that would be one that uh, people maybe, maybe hoped would I'm succeed. a little out. <laughs> yeah. Pokemon Go, uh, 2016. 2016.
1: That feels so much more recent.
0: 2016 Pokemon Go, uh, and it was our first look at what augmented reality could be like. Uh, any thoughts on Pokemon Go?
3: No. So many thoughts on Pokemon <laughs> Go. Okay. Oh, Dad, haven't I told you about my quest to be the last adult still playing Pokemon Go? Because uh, I am. Uh, you know, but it's funny because it was as it was a, a complete victory as a game that took people out into the real world, and that was really remarkable and it was sort of genre shattering because people were like gathering in parks and doing these community things and like walking up off cliffs and getting hit by buses and there's always a downside as right. an augmented reality experiment experiment total failure everyone immediately turned that off it chewed up your battery it was really hard to catch the pokemon that way like it just was i don't know of anyone who uses it in augmented reality mode and yet it i think still is a real groundbreaking game in terms of locations and, and and just, I don't know, walking. It's a game that you get rewarded for walking. Like, it's a great parent game.
1: How about how about this? Let's pull on this there a little bit. Uh, biggest flops of the last decade? Sunil. Biggest flops? Yeah. What's the biggest flop? In your mind, what do you remember as the biggest flop of the last decade?
0: We're talking uh, about tech generally. Tech generally... Um, I think of that, I, uh, my mind is fixated on that payments company started by that Stanford kid that was al- allegedly going to be huge. Clinkle. 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 That, was, that was our first, that, the reason I'm zeroing in on that, I don't know why that's the first thing that popped into my head, but it was our first look at like kind of, uh, in a way, right, uh, a villain founder. Like he was, he was cast as a villain from the very outset, right. in part, because he was, he was a young Stanford graduate. He had raised a bunch of money, I think from some top tier investors, and people zeroed in on that story. And I don't know, I don't remember what the product was, maybe you do, uh, but he, he raised like 25 million product, some number, we don't, we're not fact checking here. And I remember the series of stories that came out, and then they shut the thing down. But that was, that was the first time I remember, like really distinctly remember a tech villain for the first time. We should talk about villains, too. Good
2: one. Antonio,
1: biggest what? flop of the last decade?
2: Uh, I mean, obviously, Theronus would be one of them, right? <laughs> in terms of just outright fraud that uh, dragged a lot of people with it. That's a lot of stuff in this decade. Mm-hmm. Molly? <laughs>
3: uh, I'm going 3D TV.
1: Ooh, was that even a thing? Was that a
3: thing? Yes, that was a thing. Oh, well, I mean, it was a thing that TV manufacturers tried so hard to make into a thing. And I mean, for the almost the first half of the decade, it was like, 3D TV this and it's going to be that and it's going to be like slightly curved and I would say almost in a way the idea of the television as a high end Mm -hmm. object that lived in your home that you gathered around is what completely went away because TV just scattered. Scattered to your devices scattered to various apps and services and meanwhile these poor TV manufacturers who now I mean the TVs you could buy for $2,500 even three years ago are like 250 bucks at Best Buy right now and They kept insisting that you should have this like movie like experience at home, and maybe even wear glasses. And it was like, oh, peanuts. How
2: 1950s? That's my biggest (laughs) flop. I
1: I still think about Google Glass. Yes. And what happened? Oh yeah. And like just the sheer astounding amassment of hype around it, and just what a total. That was this decade. And that's part of the AR flop, effectively, which leads us Mm -hmm. to the VR
2: flop, which is another flop. VR is perpetual technology of the future, right? Like this is the year of the Linux desktop and VR, right? (laughs) And yet, and yet.
3: I think you also, I mean, it's late in the decade, but I think you gotta throw self-driving cars in there as a little bit of a flop of the decade. I mean, we really thought we were gonna have them by now. Like I know people who were like, I'm gonna hold off on buying a new car because we're gonna have self-driving cars any minute now. And then all of a sudden around last year, they were like, if it snows, the car can't go. (laughs) We didn't think of that because we're all in Palo Alto true story
0: that's incredible <laughs> uh, yeah yeah I uh, I think we're still another 10 years away from it from it happening
2: so my last reported story for Wired was actually autonomous vehicles I actually raced autonomous vehicles on a racetrack as part of like the, the gag of the thing but it, it was it
3: in your prepper colony on your island most interesting uh, man in no, the world no 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 it
2: wasn't no but I did manage to have a crash in the car actually uh, the, the self driver well not a crash but it went off it went off the, the trail so the interesting there just to be slightly uh, contrarian there. They are making advances. I mean, the whole the whole industry is in like despair mode. They're all like in therapy because things didn't move as quickly as they thought. Uh, that said, I think things, the technology is maturing. You're seeing like an entire technology stack evolve where companies don't produce the entire vehicle. They produce subparts parts of it, just like the network stack, and they're specializing there. I mean, you have rare cases in which they own the entire stack like Tesla, but by and large, every company owns either the LiDAR or the hyper-precise GPS or the driving logic or the testing software or whatever, I think what you're going to see is that in certain limited use cases like long-haul trucking or, believe it or not, retirement communities in Florida, where they can completely redo the roads and have like a little shuttle bus go around with no driver and know that it's not going to run anybody over. So I think you're going to start seeing, um, you know, beachhead made there. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right that in long term, like, yeah, an autonomous vehicle in San Francisco. Yeah, Right. Right.
1: 2013. It like Disney World, by the way. That's where it's going to happen. Like, yeah. Disney, Autonomous cars are going to happen at Disney well, World. Well, Sunshine Village first. in Fort
2: Lauderdale, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I
0: I, uh, I think about 2013. Uh, I'm kind of, we're, we're jumping all over the decade, but, you know, 2010's podcast will will uh, we'll go, you know, out of order here, here and there. Edward Snowden. Oh, yeah. uh, so that happens. Hero Has, or traitor? Well, I actually, that's not the question. <laughs> uh, any no. impact at all? Like, does anyone care? I think he had an impact. Just do tell. What's what's the what's the legacy of Edward Snowden? And I mean, he finishes you got up Glenn the decade already.
2: Nothing else in the intercepts, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's a separate. That's uh, journalism inside baseball. Um, no, I think I mean the, the the I think he he raised a. Co- I mean the NSA has been collecting data and listening to every phone call since forever. There's a book called, called The Puzzle Palace. Uh, I think written in the '70s that details a lot of what the NSA had been doing, and so it, it wasn't, you know, it's one of these things that things get known. I've had this conversation with people like things get known, but they're not known to the point where everyone's talking about them, right? There's still this delta between when things are known and not known and be, and go viral. And I think he made the fact that the government is, uh, you know, basically surveilling all of us become a, a talked about thing. Not to mention his compelling story hiding out in the Russian airport. I mean, the whole thing is like. A made-for-TV type thing, but is that enough?
3: I guess is that what you're asking? Like, is it enough that it's a talked-about thing? Because now, or have we just settled into like, oh, the government's surveilling us all the time, and I just bought an Alexa. Right.
0: Exactly. And uh, and you know, I'm being cookied on. You know, and like all of my personal information is being given up every time I browse the web, unless you use uh, unless you use Firefox. I was about to do the product <laughs> placement. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> anyway. We appreciate that. I'll, I'll pay you afterwards.
1: Okay. I think that there there is a um, a need for a interesting consumer story to happen, and occasionally we break above the fold, and and it's kind of known universally. And Snowden was one of those stories. Right. Whether it has kind of lasting impact into in, into industry or into society, to be determined. But I think it was a pretty seminal story for all of us over the course of this last decade.
3: And I I do think that. You know, if all of these things are kind of an ongoing red rib- red ribbon campaign, if it's like an awareness thing, that on the one hand it might have generated enough despair that consumers were like, "I give up, I can't win." You know, if even if if AT and T built a secret center, or was it Verizon, to like house the data that they're gonna then—it's actually both of them, right? Of course, it is. Yeah, great. Um, some despair <coughs> came in, but I also think that you probably then did see more of an interest in something like WhatsApp. And you did see Apple say privacy can become a selling point for us, even if we're making up a fair amount of what we're branding as privacy. Yeah.
0: No, it's it's true. And Apple, Apple stock prices reflected that. However, I mean, we've had a huge run up and even, I mean, Facebook is doing well. It's held strong despite all these, you know, alleged you know, federal investigations that are going to take place. I mean, I think they're close to 200 a share now, right? Yeah. Uh, and Google is doing just fine. And so... The uh, the backlash hasn't been. Well, I mean, felt.
1: let's be clear: the stock market is the ultimate representation of a healthy and successful company. <laughs> <laughs> that was with sarcasm. Some would say it is. <laughs> he, he, I'm pretty funny. sure. What, is, <laughs> what did we read
3: about Facebook recently? They literally don't even know how many of their accounts are fake. They don't, I don't know even know. They have an idea. I mean, they have it might just be a zombie company at this point. But
2: yeah, I, yeah. So the New York Times did this whole decade retrospective that said how tech lost its way, and then I went and looked up. I almost tweeted this and looked up the stock price of all these tech companies. It's like if this is lost, I don't want to be found. This is amazing. Are you kidding? Tech has been going gangbusters. The the mere fact you do a 10-year retrospective means that tech is so at the center of the national conversation in a way that it wasn't before that it's worth your time to go and shit on it, right? Like, that's the whole point. Uh, Like, they they didn't have a, you know, a 2010, the the decade that tech did whatever thing. They just didn't care,
0: right? So you know, it is obviously impossible to talk about the decade without talking about Facebook's dominance in social media and, and Trump. Uh, However, we have covered a lot of that on previous deep dive episodes of the podcast with Kara Swisher, et cetera. I want to ask the question a different way, which is, you know, Facebook is clearly, unless there is debate on this, the dominant social media company of the 2010s. Okay. A lot of nods around the room. Does the dominance continue for the next decade? Follow-on question, what three companies have the largest market cap in the 2020s? I
2: think
1: think it's gonna be really difficult for Facebook to give up some of its dominance, purely because attrition, even if it is in mass, is going to be such a, uh, it's gonna have such a hard drive against the way that their business works today that, or let me actually rephrase that a little bit. They're so big that it kind of doesn't matter. They can just decline and decline and decline over the course of the next several years and they're not going to be that small at the end of it. Billions and billions of people, you can lose a lot of them and you can still be a billion person plus company that uses your product every day.
2: I I would change that a little bit. So I think one of the modes that Facebook obviously has is what's called the network effect, right? Which is that the value of a network of N nodes goes as N squared, right? Like that's, which came from Bob Metcalf who invented Ethernet, which wasn't even a social media thing. But I think if you think about it, network effect also goes the opposite way, right? If you lose half your users, you're not worth half as much. or worth a quarter as much, right? And so I, I think, look how quickly MySpace unraveled, right? Once these things start unraveling, they unravel very, very quickly. So I, I, I tend to think Facebook will maintain its dominance, if nothing else, because Zuckerberg is such a complete uh, monomaniac about maintaining dominance. And so any, any pretender will either be copied or co-opted and, and acquired into the ground. And the only time, you know, the, the only thought that Facebook will ever slip is if, you know, Zuck is effectively looking in the mirror and sees another egomaniac as capable as he is, and actually creates a, a social network that actually competes with it. But by and large, I think I, I don't see that happening. I mean, the only th- I think, uh, you know, regulatory action actually is a real risk. Antitrust is actually a real risk going forward, depending on who wins the election. Um, and I, as I've written in the past, I think there's there's non-crazy arguments to make that Facebook should maybe be broken up into the three apps. If that happens, then you know what we talk what we call Facebook is no longer what what Facebook is now, right?
3: I don't know. I mean, AT&T was broken up
2: yeah, but but the the core Facebook app is is contracting in usage or at least staying flat, right? Sure all the growth. Is but even if up. it
3: were broken up into the three apps, right? it it's hard to believe that i I feel like I could, with equal conviction argue both sides of this. Like, on the one hand, I could say, companies become so big that they topple over. I mean, that, that and that is that has been a historical reality. However. Or
2: they just don't lose, I mean, Microsoft never lost the operating system battle. Google's never gonna lose its search monopoly. Exactly. Facebook would never lose its social networking monopoly, but the next thing, the, the next technology, how humans wire their brains to the internet may involve something else altogether. I mean, I think that's why they bought Oculus, right? It's a bet that it's a hedge against VR actually becoming a thing, and they didn't want to miss that buzz.
3: Right, but, but if you look back, I mean, this is why I guess I would probably more convincingly argue for Facebook still being dominant for Amazon still being dominant for you know cuz they are effectively monopolies and yeah, that yeah. does take a very long time to get rid of. Yep. And Microsoft is the only tech company in modern memory to have actually had an ana- I mean there was remember that there was an actual court order to break yes. up Microsoft. That, that happened. Yep. And they, you know, managed to wiggle out from under it. But even having missed mobile, like even if you could ca- even if you could take out one leg of the AT that is Facebook the other three are gonna keep standing like it's just a really unstoppable beast and Microsoft is depending on the day still the most valuable company in the world.
0: Molly, top three most valuable companies in the 2020s tech companies. do
3: you see me trying to dodge that? I tried so hard to dodge that try yeah let's yeah. let's let's hear it. Uh, Amazon Facebook. Hold on. I know. This is terrible. It's dead air. Mm, Facebook over Apple. Yeah, definitely. I actually... I don't think Apple has it. No. Yeah. Phrase I mean, it the other one would be better. You which, were both which, really which, fast on that, by Yeah. The way. Which of the yeah, fangs no, are not going to yeah. be here in
2: in 2030? Yeah, totally. in, 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 in okay. Okay. I know.
3: I'm still trying to think of yeah, my third I think, one. I while, think, I do, while I stall, let's talk about the ones yeah, that won't be, won't be yeah, here. Yeah. I mean, Amazon definitely will remain
2: preponderant. I think Apple, I think... I, this is gonna line me up. This is gonna get, I'm gonna get trolled by the fanboys, but I think Apple has lost the magic and its phone is not worth 1,500 bucks and Android is catching up. And if you talk to iOS people, like they think their phones are so fucking great. I use them, I'm like, I'm not impressed. My Pixel is actually better, <laughs> I'm sorry. And <laughs> and it's not worth the premium. And I don't see where the, the and, and they're not growing overseas. They're losing market share internationally. Everyone thinks iOS is so important. I'm sorry to tell you, it isn't. The, all the growth is in Android and often in lower end phones, though not necessarily. And so, I mean, yeah. they're At this point, in my opinion, they're a niche OS. They're actually not that important or interesting. The only, the only reason they retain, actually, I think, interest from the point of view of developers is obviously the monetization on, on Apple is still higher than it is on Android. And so in some sense, if you hope to monetize via the app, via commerce or whatever, you, you have to ship an iOS version, you know, possibly first over Android. Mm-hmm. But if you're actually going at, like, a consumer internet app that privileges growth over revenue, you'd be insane to not ship on Android first. And I think it's just techies in San Francisco who all, all have iPhones and just don't understand how the world actually uses smartphones.
1: Anymore. You're pretty fast on that too, Molly. Same? Yeah, Yeah, same.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Russia, top three market cap tech companies next decade?
1: I think uh, Microsoft has the right answer. I know. They're selling selling into businesses, they're selling into businesses that. Uh, don't seem to be shrinking and there's more and more businesses showing up and Microsoft is figuring out all the different ways to make it easier for them to do what they need to do every day. So I think they're they're in a great position. They're already big. They're gonna continue to be big through the next decade.
3: I totally agree. And
1: maybe we still like them at the end of the next decade too, right? They go through these cycles of like you dislike them for a while and then you like them again and like maybe it's just the way that the PR works overall, but I think we like them at the end of the next decade and they're big.
3: Also don't underestimate the cloud the business that they have built on the cloud and how hard it is to compete with. Like talk about it's one thing that's hard to compete with Facebook and a network effect, but the sheer infrastructure and architecture of the cloud as a bunch of buildings with a bunch of expensive computers in them, you can't replicate that.
1: Right. Yeah. That's yeah. my number two, the cloud, it's Amazon. Like they're definitely in the top three. Okay. Yeah, I would vote for Microsoft as well.
2: I I saw a tweet recently that I I didn't believe, and then I researched it, I realized it's true. Satya Nadella, right? I mean, Microsoft has stopped sucking, right? Like, I use the tablet, it's actually pretty good.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, Somebody tweeted, and I looked it up. I I think it's true. I forget the exact number, but Satya, Microsoft stock has added uh, something, I think, like 750 billion in market cap since Satya took the reins, right? The market cap was like 150 billion. Go Indian people. And now it's a trillion, um, (laughs) all in the tenure of of one CEO, which is kind of incredible when you think about it.
0: I'm going to throw one in the mix that, no, one, no one here brought up Uh-oh. Tesla. I, oh, see, I That's oh. why
3: I was hesitating. I was torn between Tesla and Microsoft. You know,
0: everybody is just kind of hopping on the. Uh, he's crazy, and he doesn't know what he's doing. And you know, the business is a fraud, and all these accounting tricks. Mm-hmm. But he's been sing, you know, just singular-minded on building an amazing product that you know, for better or worse, people love. It's such a great product. You refuse to buy one. I refuse to buy one. I bought an e-golf.
3: I love that you did that, by the way. That was such a good move. I think done right, though, a a dark horse is either SpaceX or Blue Origin because of the, the like low Earth orbit economy is something we have not even started to actually explore yet. What does that mean? Just like the ability to send stuff to space and bring it back. The ability to do satellites up there, the ability to – I mean, Jeff Bezos is talking about moving manufacturing to space as both a climate move, but also, like, things that you can build up there more cheaply without having to worry about environmental impact or resource extraction. And the – like, you know, I mean, we are only seeing the constellation of satellites that provide internet to the ground. Like, there's so much usable, no pun intended, space up there. And there's asteroid mining, which is as we – like, this rare earth metal story is going to be huge – in the next decade. The fact that, like, I don't know why it's not a bigger story that children in the Congo are dying building iPhones. Like, take your good guy image and shove it, Tim Cook, right. over rare earth metals that exist on asteroids in uh, unheard of quantities. Like, this is a real nascent economy. And if one of these companies gets the rockets that go up and come back down,
1: yeah.
3: right? Like, by the end of 2020, Apple who?
0: Yeah,
2: it's pretty cool. Yeah, so. When, you know, one thing, like, what is a lower thing? Just, there's this one, like, open-source format called Minisat, which is, like, these mini-satellites, which are 10-centimeter cubes. And they're, they're relatively... It's almost like Raspberry Pis. They're relatively inexpensive. Like, literally some high school or college groups have constructed these things. But the biggest gating factor is the launch cost, which is still, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. So they actually got that cost down. You would be able to, like, you know, you and me would raise a little bit of money and create a new satellite that did a new thing and put it into orbit. And, like, we have access to space in a way that now is unthinkable. So I think it'd be kind of cool. Also, I think it's super cool, but... I like Star Trek. It's super cool. Cool. Super
0: cool. (laughs) Time just flies with you two. We have so much more to cover, so uh, we're going to spend a few minutes on journalism and media. Oh God. God. Uh, And so (laughs) I I I love that world. world. (laughs) Uh, And and kind of positioning it for the future, but the 2010s will be remembered as a very, very bad uh, stretch business-wise for uh, for journalism, and so we saw. The shutdown of, of many, many newspapers, I mean, down to even things like the beloved Village Voice in, in New York City. And so, you know, what, uh, I guess, how would you describe the decade in, in media? And what does the future hold uh, for, uh, next 10 years? What, it, what does it look like for media?
2: By the way, you mentioned the Village Voice. Just side note, I described the Bull italic to someone, a New Yorker, as the Village Voice of San Francisco. I just thought I'd butter your muffin by saying that. Wow. <laughs> oh, well, that's I,
0: I, I appreciate that, <laughs> but it's it's, no, it's it's now a, it's now a medium publication. Oh, so, is it? Yeah. Actually, we, I forgot you sold it. Yeah. Oh,
3: whatever. Because oh. consolidation was kind I, I, of a thing right, in the I decade. Got it, got it. Okay, sorry.
2: Okay, I didn't mean to throw a loop in. Oh the no, place. no,
0: you're fine. You're fine. That's good. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm glad to be. I'm glad to be out of the media game, other than podcasting.
3: Got it. Uh,
0: so, thoughts.
3: I mean, podcasting is also a story of the decade. Oh, I mean, no. it's weird because y- you really did see the tragic death of newspapers in the 2010s, and that was that was somewhat predicted. It was still horrific to watch, but you saw like a crazy boom in digital media. I mean, you saw venture-funded companies popping up left and at left and right. Like journalists were actually getting hired like crazy. Now we're seeing that contraction, not surprisingly. But I feel like so much happened. It's easy to sort of focus on the lost newspapers, and look that is important the death of local news will haunt us for decades like yeah not catching a corrupt politician in city council before that guy runs for president is a problem Mm -hmm. like it's the oversight of our local officials that actually keeps corruption out of the national pool or the state pool or even keeps our schools running you know like i i actually do believe in the extremely valuable service that local journalism provides in the oversight That said, like you had the pivot to video, you had the rise of podcasting, you had a a type of storytelling. I mean, then NPR came along and was like, we invented it. I invented it. (laughs) 2005, people. Adam Curry gave you the container. I gave you the content. I'm just saying. But I think it was actually, I think the 2010s were actually very interesting for media in ways that we're going to just see continue. So that's not horrible. I mean, that's not. I don't think it's horrible. I think there were like a lot of, I mean, I think like there was a content explosion and if there is a need for content, there will be businesses. Yeah,
1: yeah. I do, I do um, really appreciate your point about local journalism and the importance of it and how we've found a way to completely defund that. Like the scale that we're at because of this decade has made local unbelievably hard to sustain. It depends where you go, right? I mean, I think yeah, we're not talking about Orcas Island. I know what's I, there's what's two happening newspapers on, the on Orcas Island, actually. <laughs> two, <laughs> two. That sounds right. Wow.
2: You have local newspapers, where you have communities that are involved in their government, and you have local businesses that that and they have a unique audience that they can sell into. But I agree that's relatively rare these days. But I I think there'll, there'll be local newspapers around. I don't know. I look. I I don't think the end of newspapers is the end of democracy. I think it's just it's the it's the end of one intermediary, which was the newspaper is sort of monopoly on distribution, right? Like the famous quote from Benedict Evidence that newspapers thought they're in the truth business. It turns out they're actually in the printing and delivery business, right? <laughs> and once they, you didn't need that to get a message out, it turns out not that many people are willing to pay for truth, as it turns out. And right. so... We need a new container. Right, right. And the fact that newspapers... I mean, I think some like the New York Times will actually will migrate to a subscription model. Like they can actually... Or the Economist can actually convince them to actually spend money on content. That said, at the end of the day, the customer always gets what they want. Um, you know, I think it's one of those overlooked pieces of American journalistic history that what we now consider to be the, the both-sidism, the objective, like all that, what we consider modern news coincided with the rise of modern mass market advertising, right? And to the extent that those newspapers no longer have access to those advertising dollars, i.e. they can't pay the investigative journalist to sit around for two years and investigate some, some, some politician, because at the end of the day, I'm sorry, the average person is not going to pay for that, then that kind of goes away, right? And that, you know, it's not a journalistic birthright. I think just what journalism is just changes a lot. If you go back and read 19th century you know, newspapers, they're very different than what they are now. And you know, uh, it's, uh, anyway, I think uh, it's it, it'll be a different world. But I think a lot of individual voices rise up like this podcast or others that before you would never have, right? I mean, I, I can't even name who the hell is like a network anchor. And yet, you know, Rogan is Rogan, right? And various podcasts that I follow have more impact on me than any any mass market media will ever have again. I
0: do think that the cost of production uh, right. decreasing in literally and every distribution, media is, right? is
1: unbelievably awesome. Right. So, you know, you bought and sold a local journalistic enterprise. But what's your take?
2: Media tycoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's, first, no such first. thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, uh, look. Um, I, I think the economics of local journalism are no longer sustainable. Um, it is, it's impossible because you're looking for national advertisers to sustain your publication, but your, your audience is just never going to reach a large enough right. place. So then you have to look at other revenue sources like events and other stuff, and, or you have to run it as a hobbyist like me. Hmm. And, uh, and those are your only really two options.
3: I feel like I have an idea about how this could go, and maybe it's a little self-serving, but I work in public media. There you go. And not that many years ago, I found, and, and I mean, look, I also do a Patreon funded podcast. Like, I think we will start to have a conversation about the role of citizens, whether it's taxes or fees or some kind of public media contribution. Like, there was a story a few years ago, I'm not sure if you could totally say that with every, the same today given Brexit, but the countries in the world with the strongest democracies happen to be the countries with the strongest and most vibrant publicly funded media because the incentives are what pervert the news
2: so is that so i had a random question because i this came out in a conversation recently i didn't know if it's true is most of npr's uh you know top line though come in from advertising at this point more than actual government um or,
3: we and, call it underwriting okay, in public sorry. media Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay. i actually i do not know the breakdown i okay. think it's I, I mean i would wager to say it's Half and half, maybe okay. something like that. But I, but I'm pulling that number out of my sweater dress, which okay. I really regret wearing. Can I throw a, in a random question
2: to this? Since you brought up NPR, and since you you work at NPR, I don't. I work uh, at American Public Media. Oh, we're friends. Oh, oh right, oh right, I right, yeah.
3: It happens all the time.
2: Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's and then there's like another one. There's like a little. There's like the the, the five NPR families that everyone rolls into one, but in fact are different when you get into it. Yeah. But um, so recently Facebook. I know we maybe we're over Facebook over indexing on Facebook, but Facebook recently said that it would actually um. Flag state-sponsored media as state-sponsored media, right? So what does that mean? Does that mean that they flag uh, both Russia Today and NPR and the BBC and the North Korean public? You know, you know, Minister of Truth or whatever the hell they call it. Anyway, just a random thing that what it mean to be public media in, in one context is suspicious, and in the other it's not, right? I mean, but it's it's.
3: But speaking of that, what do we think about the fact that Google is going to fund local news? That Laurene Powell Jobs now owns The Atlantic. That Jeff Bezos owns yeah. The Washington Post. Yeah, yeah. That like. Most Benioff owns Time. The right? Benioff owns Time. Exactly. That many, many of our major in- media institutions are now essentially owned or controlled by tech companies. Like Comcast right. owns NBC. They're, they're effectively and a billionaire's the whole hobby. And cascade down Verizon. Yeah. I mean- I wha- think Zuckerberg
2: should just buy the New York Times and then just stop you know, the coverage right there. That's the obvious solution. <laughs> All right. right, let's got a let's, little
3: goosebump about how possible that is. Like, oh, I, 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 I once
2: calculated about 15 days of Facebook revenue is, is New York Times' market cap, actually. So half a month's revenue is what it would take. <laughs> Thanks for that. That's good.
0: That's <laughs> let's good. Uh, let's we're, we we need to do a part two with uh, with you know like where we cover other parts of the decade. Uh, okay. But let's let's tie this back to uh, to Silicon Valley, Yasha. Yeah. What are the two things that you'll remember about the 2010s in Silicon Valley? Hmm. Like, what are what are the couple things you'll you'll be like, okay?
1: This is the the decade where I think we're kind of over it here. If you live in the Bay Area, you're kind of over it. And you're thinking about what else can I go do? Where else can I go do what I do? And and that's new here. So I've been in and around the Bay Area over the course of the last two decades. And this is the first decade where there's been a, a moment in time where I'm not the only person who's saying, ah, it's just not like the things that are happening here don't align with what's important to me. So that I'd really take that away from being here in Silicon Valley. This, this decade was a change. And I think myself and maybe a, a lot of others are just like, I'm just quite not sure if I'm getting all the things I want to get out of it. The other thing that's been really fascinating is that I, I think we're getting to a point where uh, we're kind of recognizing the the cost of convenience. I mean, we talked about this early on in, in the podcast, but as we start to recognize the cost of convenience, like I sincerely hope, and I think that's the kind of other piece of this decade for me. I sincerely hope that more of us start to recognize that we don't have to just opt into everything. And I I feel like the end of the decade is bringing that. As much as, like, being a local here is like, crap, I just don't know if it's right anymore. Like, more socially outside of the Bay Area, I think there's this recognition that I don't have to opt in for everything. And I I have some hope that everything's not damned over the course of the next decade because of that. Opt in to what? What do you mean? Like, opt in to... To everything. Like, absolutely everything. You want to go into your bar, your local bar, you have to sign in on envoy. You want to go into... Uh, pick up an app, you gotta opt into whatever it is that the company wants. You wanna go on a date, you got to opt in to whatever that company that's gonna connect to that person wants. And So just using technology less
2: versus analog?
1: I think recognizing that we don't have to use technology for absolutely everything. We don't have to opt into absolutely everything.
0: Molly, right. what do you remember the twenty tens for? In the Silicon, Silicon Valley. In the
3: Silicon Valley way. Um, I think that this is the decade when the money got really out of hand. I mean by the point we got to SoftBank and the Vision Fund and the sheer like distortion and the the fact that then VCs were like rushing to catch up to that it's like we basically rebuilt we reinflated the bubble. I think it I think it also coincided with kind of like if this is the decade where software did eat the world, where we did really realize that a company could write code once and sell it a million times, like we had this is the decade where that was internalized and funded appropriately, right? And everybody wanted to be in on um, the marketplace business. Where it was like we wrote a platform that connects people in the real world, but we have very low overhead because we're just the marketplace. Give us bajillions of dollars. I think like you just started to see this kind of just banana pants money and that that then i think contributed to sort of i don't know that then it was a, then it became a thing uh, then it became scale then it contributed to the sort of the decline of goodness because it was like it's all about cash it's all about cashing out the incentives were just like they just the funnel narrowed so all the incentive was like money 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 money
0: i'm gonna ask agm a different question oh
2: i've already prepared the answer to this question
3: well, of, you
0: can answer that, but okay.
3: first half of the
0: decade, it feels like people love tech. Yeah. Latter half, people turned on it. Yeah. And we didn't even talk about on-demand. We didn't even have time, uh, Uber and Rise of all of that. But what is your what is your take on first half versus last half?
2: Well, my answer was, was going to be, I think, the to me, the remarkable thing about the decade is that tech became like a central story. Like tech used to live on like the technology page that, so let's face it, if you're not in tech, nobody read. But now it is like the front page thing, like, I follow Mike Isaac. Every time he gets a story on like 1A, he posts it like he posts a lot. right? So these stories became the central focus for a lot of things. And I think in my opinion, now that I'm on the techie side of the divide, right, I've got two hats like the journal and the tech hat. Now I've got the tech hat stuck on my head. Um, I think it's the first time tech actually started seriously challenging the sort of media and financial power of the New York City and DC elites, right? Before it's kind of a cool story. Oh, these geeks you know, this whole upbeat, oh, look at these crazy little geeks, look at the free food, look at the Google free massages, whatever, it was like a joke of the story. Now it's like, wait, shit, now they're upending the way this country's been run for the past 30 years. They're supposedly throwing elections, this and that. And like The story completely changed around tech. And I think tech itself, I think, wasn't quite ready to make that shift. I think that, you know, this, it, San Francisco has many pluses. I think one of the things is that it's a little bit self-absorbed and doesn't see much outside of that bubble. It doesn't, doesn't look towards the East Coast and, and think about what it means in the, in the greater whole. I think it wasn't ready, ready to make that transition, but I think that's that's the jump, that tech is now the main story. Now It's, it's center stage, and it wasn't before. And, I, and for whatever reason, that has implied the animus that you've described, which is everyone is kind of against tech now. Um, it, it, and I think a lot of that is a little trumped up, in my opinion, but um, pun intended, but uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: I'll remember it as the decade of the cultural divide. I feel like yeah, too, okay. the the bifurcation of society. I mean, we started, uh, you know, Obama, then we went Trump. Yeah. We started, uh, you know, like there, there's just all sorts of interesting stories, some positive ones, too, like same sex marriage and just all, all of this, you know, progress. But on, on the other hand, you know, there's just an equal counterweight uh, to every movement. And so that. The cultural divide being fueled by technology in a way is is a big central part of the story. I feel.
2: Yeah, a lot of techies, the ones that I'm in the you know the private WhatsApp groups, they're not tweet what's in here. Um, look at it as like a culture war between New York City and DC elites and the tech now. They see it as like this is a fundamentally irreconcilable divide. These people will never understand us. We're always gonna have to deal with them because they, you know they've got guns and we can't make them go away. And they they just don't at some deep level they don't they don't want to play ball with this East Coast way of looking at the world.
1: It's the decade of both sides, yeah,
0: the two-sided decade. What's uh, uh, we're gonna close out with one hot take on the 2020s. Uh-oh. Uh, like what uh, what's uh, what's what's one hot take you have in the in the decade ahead?
3: All right, I'm just gonna do this because it's sort of like if I bet on it, I'll it's win a bajillion dollars. No, it's <laughs> you know, like you might as well bet on the long shot. I think Mark Zuckerberg is gonna resign in the 2020s.
2: What? I will take the other side of that bet any day. He will be taken off that campus horizontally, on dead on a gurney. <laughs> All right. <And> not otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, but I'm, I'm planting that, that flag because <laughs> I if mean, I turn out I to be
3: right, then it's a boiling hot.
2: Yeah. You should, well, you should short Facebook stock because Facebook stock isn't like plunged. I'm not that. allowed to do that. Well.
1: Oh, okay. I think uh, Bill Gates runs for some public office. Oh. Maybe it's like Washington governor first, and then maybe a run for president in not 2020s, but on. You go first.
2: Man. Hot
0: take on the 2020s. Uh, I. I think two of the Fang companies are gone.
3: By 2030, really? Yep.
0: For reals? Which one? I, I I don't know, but I wanted to I wanted to give a hot take. I think two of them are <laughs> are out of existence. <laughs> there is no, no there pressure, is no, no Fang pressure. at the end of uh at the end of the 2020s. Clearly, Apple. I think some. I think finally, um, you know, regulation will catch up to a certain extent and hinder uh, the ability for a couple of these companies to grow in a major way, mm-hmm. leaving the window open for uh, competitors. And so, I think the 2010s really solidified the status of the fangs. Uh, I think the 2020s will be about undoing that. And I think there's enough bipartisan backlash against these companies that somebody's going to do something extreme, and it's really going to hinder a Google or or somebody like that.
3: God, we didn't even talk about China.
0: Part two. Mm -hmm, mm
3: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I have a hot take. I
2: just, one hot take I guess is that I I don't see, put it this way, I see more of the same. I I see the lack of, the, the crumbling of faith in our elites and the movements that you see, whether it be in France or in Chile or in here in other parts of the world, that Americans conveniently ignore because they're very self-absorbed, in my opinion. But the, you know, these revolts against you know Brexit against something—it's not even clear what the message is. But everyone's just kind of fed up with this sort of neoliberal order. I think that's going to continue. I think social media definitely makes it worse. There's no fixing it. No, no matter how many times you drag Zuck in front of whatever congressional hearing, it's not going to fix shit. Basically, it's going to it's going to continue and spiral and get only worse. We already don't even have the notion of like a truth consensus that we as a country can agree this thing happened right you no historian I've, i often say this no historian in the future will write like a history of the trump administration that more than 50% of americans are willing to say this is true right that the fact that we no longer have we all have our little micro organized little truth fabric that we live in and that is not constrained by geography anymore like it used to be right um i think that's going to there's going to be more of that and it will reach a breaking point just like after the printing press, the Reformation happened, and there was a, the, the, sort of a colossal revolt against the existing order. I think that's going to happen in the in the 2020s for sure.
1: Your apocalyptic view of the future, I think, is really a fantastic advertisement for the Cybertruck, which probably goes back, Molly, to you saying the that Tesla is going to go nuts. Oh,
0: next the Cybertruck.
2: So true. With the not-so-rock-proof
3: windows. I'm going to get one right now for my prepper bunker.
0: Well, I'm going to close out on an optimistic note and thank our two guests, Molly Wood and Antonio. Antonio Garcia Martinez, um, we had a we had a good we had a good decade run here. And I'm gonna have another uh, hot take, which is I think this is the decade where Silicon Valley finds its way again, and uh, we have uh, we have a, a recession and. A lot of the uh, a lot of the, the people who are are who are in this, you know, for the gold rush town aspect of it, shake yes. out. Yep. And we find our way again. And I actually think Silicon Valley will be a better place at the end of the twenty twenties.
3: And can I suggest the path that Silicon Valley did, could take to redeem itself? Climate. Build that technology, help us survive.
0: I think that would be a that would be a great story. So let's 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 track that. We'll do this ten years from now. Uh, we'll all be a little bit older and we may not have this room anymore. But, uh, but.
1: Well, we know that uh, 10 years from now, and today, Sunil, you're going to be having your next decade birthday.
3: I mean, that's so exciting.
1: Sunil's 40.
2: That Ooh. is such a. Ooh. That of such a. Bag. I
3: can't believe you timed your decade. Milestone birthdays with the turn of the decade. Like, good job. You made us. Okay, so
0: with that, we are going to end this podcast. (laughs) But, but, yeah, thank you. Thank you all. Uh, We have to do a part two, Yasha. Consider it done.